Hey, so this episode of Radio Free Demos is a little bit unusual in that we are referencing the new lore book, Sound and Silence, quite extensively. The topic that kind of informs both this episode and the next episode is, is going to be the strange and alien. And a lot of the new material, well, talks about the soul universe in great detail, and some of it is for Game Master's eyes only. So be aware, this episode will have a number of spoilers. Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast attempting to broadcast from ASAF Hall at Lake Voltaire on Demos. The Demos Board of Tourism would like to tell you about our upcoming Autumn Harvest Festival, but they can't because they fell off. <laughs> this is episode 28 of Radio Free Demos, Aliens. Halloween is right around the corner, so we picked a nice spooky topic. Uh, if you reference last year, we covered transcendent technology and cool. Cool. This week, I guess we're looking at kind of the fallout from that world. Of course, we have our usual hosts, Ashtar and Wines, and I'm Corbeau. Also visiting Deimos this week, we have Sparky Dingo, a student of cryptozoology who is here to give us opinions on the alien. Thank you so much for being here, sir. Oh, no problem. Glad to be here. Don't worry. You'll never leave. <laughs> Yay. No, that, that's true. <laughs> the uh, airlock has been seizing up lately. received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. So let's get straight into the topic, which is Ixundraconus' aliens. It's worth saying straight out, a lot of this episode is going to be infested with spoilers. From spoilers? Uh, it's worth saying straight out, a lot of this topic is going to be infested with spoilers from the upcoming Ixundraconus lore book, uh, which we have our hands on because of the Kickstarter preview deal. So you might want to consider skipping this episode if you're a player and like surprises. We'll try and stare away from the game's big reveals, no promises there. And if we see a spoiler coming up that's of a certain magnitude, we will let you know and give a short pause. Although, honestly, if it's in a book, your players have read it. That's the problem is it's not in the book yet. Oh. We have secrets. <laughs> Only available to people that gave $20 or more. Quick, run that plot line immediately. <laughs> <laughs> So I think usually we open the topic up kind of granularly and then go into Game Master advice. But I'd like to reverse that this week and start kind of right into it with how can we best fold the alien into our campaigns? Uh, it's worth noting two things about our tables campaign and style. Our Ixendraconis game has been very real world with almost no supernatural stuff yet. And my games personally tend to swerve abruptly and without warning into horror. So these are both areas that are kind of near and dear to I, my heart. As opposed to your characters who simply end violently, unexpectedly. Yes, or I just forget that I'm playing them and pick someone else up mm -hmm. and new. One aspect of the alien that I see is that it kind of creates a certain distance between us and our characters. Because vectors are so crazy about body modification and the universe rebels in subtle body horror that I think it makes our characters kind of alien to us as, as humans. If the vast majority of us weren't already very steeped in 
furry culture in, in the notion that, the, that these characters look normal. Well, I don't think that looking like an ocelot is necessarily that alien. I mean, most of my friends are more imaginary than real anyway. <laughs> Certainly my relationships with them are. I think there's some jokes about, was the joke something along the lines of the cog telling the vector to install a uh, turbine in his butt and blow it out his ass <laughs> and that he probably would. Uh, the level of freeform body modification, I think, is, is huge and... That's something that makes vectors a little more a little more distant for me, and it makes the cogs kind of more approachable. So far as alien races go, I think the vectors are closer to it when you play them as written. That's a kind of precise use of the word alien, but it, it's true on some level for me. It's almost the reverse for me. I find the cogs a little bit more alien because they are fundamentally different, yet trying to be the same as kind of a more traditional human-esque attitude uh whereas the vectors at a certain level are almost pure wish fulfillment they they really speak right to the core of furry well you know if if i were a fox this is the cat fox i would be and you know if if there was nothing really stopping me from oh grafting on a second tail because i think it looks cool i'm gonna do it and if i think that having bright green ears was awesome sure i'll go do that tomorrow and revert it the next week that's so I kind of wish fulfillment. I, I think that's very understandable. And to me, that doesn't feel very alien. I find the setting at times reminds me of that short story. I know we've talked about it several times, Diamond Dogs, where mm -hmm. over the course of the dare, the main characters have kind of evolved themselves into weird streamlined little robots to solve single task problems. There's a lot of body horror in Ixodraconus and... Uh, particularly in the extended book, you get into it with the weird body modifications like the the goop ones that turns you into a kind of an animated puddle of goop. goop. Yeah, the shape-changing ones are pretty horrible as well. And I think these manifest at the extreme ends with the Vitae demons, which are only the end of a process that you could go down and you could stop at any point in time if you really wanted to. I think the flexibility of the vectors, I think, is its own form of alien uh, to my mind, at least, but maybe that's that's more of an opinion. And I think that is a little bit more of a spectrum when you're when you're playing within kind of the more civilized side of vector vector society. There are more changes. There are the surgeries and the magic pills that let you change pretty much anything about yourself. But a lot of that doesn't necessarily move into body horror because it is still. It, it's body strange, but maybe not quite to the horror level. Um, but definitely once you dip into the more extreme um, variations, the more extreme surgeries, and a lot of the stuff that really supports a lot of the military arms and armor and then TTI trance work type stuff, that's really where it slips into the other side of starting to get into body horror. That changes just fundamental variables about yourself, and that's that's a lot more out there. What does my armor want to eat today? I hope it's not me. Wait, am I hungry or is my armor hungry? <laughs> I can't tell anymore. Or there's the lateral sharks that kind of lose themselves in the ocean, which is like abandoning humanity for the animal, which is a pretty common furry trope as well. Sure. But when you pair it up with a lot of the other ideas in HSD, I think it starts, again, speaking to how alien these creatures are compared to ourselves today. Mm-hmm. Again, this is not really the subject of aliens that I think is advertised on our episode title. But I think it's important to kind of look at almost any science fiction element as invoking the alien. And, and who we are playing is certainly one of them. Sorry, just as an aside, speaking of cogs, 
Is a couch a lateral chair? Well, a fainting sofa is, is a lateral chair. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Cog jokes. Always <laughs> relevant. Yes. One thing that is also making me think of is the, the discussion of, of the exonyms, which, which really, to, to me, kind of have, this is a bad idea for anyone to play, written all over them. It's black spiral dancers. Right. But, you know, White, White Wolf also had what... Half the stuff written up is never use this. Uh, <laughs> so, so the write-up of the exonyms, which we've been calling the brain bugs, um, they're presented as a possibly playable race for certain types of campaigns. Mm-hmm. So let's work from the assumption these are a combined GM PC tool. I, I think they have don't put this in my campaign written all over them because yeah. they are... Because they eat people. They eat, Yeah, they eat things' brains and then do the whole invasion of the body snatchers thing of like taking their place. But assuming they're presented as a playable race, which they are, uh-huh. there have to be some tools to let them integrate in certain contexts with society. So having some sort of permission for them to have a toe in the door of vector society is almost required. And... Not all of them do, and not all of them can, and not all of them should. And it's a ruse that lasts for as long as it lasts before the game master says this isn't working anymore. Um, someone's recognized you for what you are. So you're saying it's kind of like the D and D article that writes up Knowles as a playable race. I'm kind of saying that if you were in a small, a smaller area where nobody has seen your type before, mm-hmm. and you don't have the risk of running into a TTI officer that's used to hunting and exterminating aliens, you might be able to pass yourself off for a while as a vector. Uh-huh. But I think there's a lot of ifs and that sins. And at any point in time, the game master can stomp down on that and say, no, that's, that's the end of that ride. Now you're into the uh, resource scarcity side of play. Yeah. Uh, and Let's I, I, step that back slightly sure. in that xenomorphs are built off of kind of the vector protocol framework. So they are a slightly, they are a cousin of the blips and at that point, it does that there's a little bit there. Um, but to jump from that to making them a playable race, they are very special. They are very special and they take a very special handling by the PC. Um, and one of the core components of that is it's not just the abstract, oh, yeah, they eat brains. It, it is a very concrete. Your character is sentient because it ate another sentient creature like Every brain bug starts their life by eating somebody. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just kind of animal intelligence. And if you're not willing to play that, not overwhelmingly at the table, but kind of just as a shadow behind your character, then it's not the character that needs to be played. Yeah. Embrace the angst or don't play it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy for me to look at them and think, wow, this is the kind of race that the exact sort of person that would want to play them would be the people I would not want playing them. But that, that's not completely true. I, th- <laughs> there are people that I can see pulling it off and having it be reasonable. I mean, I, I can see like one of these bugs eats someone and is, is now becomes a, a person and now thinks, gosh, I feel really bad about that. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. You get the haunted by the ghost in your own head sort of thing going on. Well, that's pretty much all of them. Because a lot of what they're pulling from the humanity, from the intelligent thought, uh, comes along with a lot of that social guilt. For the most part, brain bugs aren't fed sociopaths or murderers. So it's not that there's a 
dark race of these aliens out there and you're playing the soul redeemed ones that are actually good inside. Mm-hmm. They're not dark elves. Uh, pretty much every one of these race does carry that guilt of both the murder, but also the realization of what they've done and why that's not and, right. And yet, and yet they are trying to preserve and establish their society. So like White Wolf, we have the Werehyena Jabba that make a bunch of devil's deals to preserve themselves. Totally, uh, totally justified. Uh, yeah, completely justified. Um, or in the lore book, the deals that the uh, spoilers um, pillmen have had to make to make their lives work. Any creature that's life is focused entirely on surviving and preserving their species is going to make some compromises. And one of those might be a few more acerebral vectors down the road. We don't know. Uh, it depends on your game and what you've established as, as a reasonable course of action of that species. Just as a irrelevant aside, you're talking about how most of the exonymphs were not fed on a diet of, uh, of psychopaths, uh, thinking of young Frankenstein. Mimi, <laughs> <laughs> play the the brain selection clip for me. for a moment of course now that brain that you gave me was it hans delbrooks no ah good uh would you mind telling me whose brain i did put in and you won't be angry i will not be angry abby someone Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Abby normal. I'm almost sure that was the name. (laughs) Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide Thank you. Well, um, if one, say, did eat a sociopath's brain, that wouldn't have anything to affect the actual insect itself, would it? Or would it? Well, since since they absorb the, not so much the personality, but the memories of the person that they ate, if you ate a psychopath, you'd have all sorts of memories about how to kill people and and you remember a lot of behaviors <laughs> which would not be good models for a sane sentient being i would say that if a brain bug ate a sociopath brain or a psychopath brain that really would shape their personality uh, they don't really have that they're not capable of that level of thinking prior to it it's the the eating, the absorption that really elevates them to that level. And I think it really elevates them on that framework as well. Ooh, I'd have to check the book, but I want to say that the first one that was created really inherited a lot of the scientific, a lot of the discovery, a lot of the exploration of their creator after she ate him. 
So the uh, body's kind of like a mode for the insect. Yeah, I mean, physically, if the first meal that an exonym takes is of a tar or of a of a lateral vector, then their shape is going to be informed by the lateral shape of the meal or the tar shape of the meal. So they take on the physical qualities, but also they take on mental echoes from their their first meal. And there's a certain, I think there's a certain personality to the exonyms. They're kind of cold and distant anyway, because they're bugs. One imagines they pick up echoes of the personality of their, their first person as well. Sure. And maybe that's remorse of what they've just done. That seems to be a running theme with them to prevent them from being crazy psychopaths and gritty loners. Maybe if it eats a poet, its first thought is, finally, now I am truly alone in the world. <laughs> <laughs> The first character I wrote up for HSD, his backstory was that his boyfriend vanished mysteriously and was presumed dead, but he was starting to get letters and creds from his boyfriend's account because the deep, deep story was that his boyfriend was eaten and taken over by an exonymph who was feeling kind of guilty and, <laughs> and picking up echoes of the relationship and the love that was there before and felt really bad about it. <laughs> oh. Didn't play that character, though. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up from, again, Stephen King's idea of three types of horror, uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode or have not read Dance Macabre, the idea is that there are three specific types of horror. There's kind of the splatter, which is the raw biological terror of having blood splattered on you or green slime against the wall or seeing the rotting corpse, that sort of visceral biohorror. I know I'm repeating myself, Ashtar, stop grinning at me like that. It's reiteration. It's useful sometimes. Sorry, I was going to say, and in addition, it's repetition, and that's useful sometimes. <laughs> Got to pad those episodes out. Yeah. Lord knows we want to keep them under an hour and a half. I'm, I'm paid by word, right? <laughs> totally. I would just point out that you left out jump scare this time. Well, because Stephen <laughs> King is a writer, and it's really, really hard to pull off a jump scare. Also, he's still calming down from this episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> still freaking out about that. As am I. The second type of fear that Stephen King talks about is, I believe, horror, which is the shock of seeing the alien face to face the first time. This is facing down the zombie. This is encountering the werewolf. This is seeing the xenomorph in in person face to face. This is the horror of now dealing with the revulsion, shock and et cetera, of having the alien kind of shoved upon you forcefully. Mm -hmm. And the third and the very difficult one to maintain in writing and tabletop gaming is terror, which is the dread of the unknown. It's horror about something that is even here. Fear of what's to come. Fear of the implications of what you've seen. So very delicate horror, very nuanced and very atmospheric. So I'd like to look at the various alien races of Ixodraconus and rate them on a scale of one to five on each of these vectors. <laughs> on each of these vectors, um, the first, the uh, for splatter, we will rate them on a scale of one to five decapitated heads. For horror, uh, one to five bloodstained knives. Okay. For terror, uh, one to five screaming voids. So that's heads, knives, and voids. So okay. One more. Give me a make up a card set. <laughs> I'm sorry, nothing. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. In the adult video news, they use penises. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so starting with life as we know it on Europa, we have a new alien 
race concept brought in in the lore book, and this is the approachable part for the players, so I'm not going to worry about spoiling it too much, which is the F-O-E-A, or Family Original Europa. This is kind of a bucket term for weird stuff under the icy surface of Europa's crust. These are strange tripartite organisms with bladed tentacles and a certain level of telepathy that lets them communicate with each other. The sense that maybe they can organize into intelligent packs and that maybe you could be in real danger if they were lurking outside you and the intelligent one was commanding its little minions to gang up on you. All the way down to monocellular bits of DNA that has been incorporated into other TTI product, bioprobes, orcas, maybe your friends. They have mouths, yet they cannot scream. Right. So this is a catch-all genus or family of things that were recreated from Europa in a sort of whimsical Jurassic Park idea that TTI thought was a really, really sane one like 50 years ago, 200 years ago thereabouts. See, if you imagine Europa as a giant piece of amber. Filled with flies, yes. And That's all I had. Telepathic amber flies that want to eat you. With <laughs> bladed tentacles. Yeah. Perhaps they exist on a diet of Jupiter's radiation. Perhaps they exist on some other strange energy of what we will not discuss. Brains. No transcendent power. Brains. Well, maybe. So all of these can be found in the what your PCs likely know about TTI, Transcendent Technologies Incorporated, and Europa, because maybe you've been there. Maybe your aunt's been there and has seen the sites on the European FOAE or FOA tour. She's seen, she's taken the glass bottom boat tour. She's seen the weird bladed things circling underneath. They're not that bad, probably. They've kind of set up a Disneyland type situation around them so if you visited it's fairly approachable to have common knowledge i love the orca rides <laughs> so let's rate the idea of the foae on a scale of <laughs> one to five heads uh in terms of splatter mm, i don't know they're, they're, they're spiky and stretchy and non-human i mean that's weird but not really terrifying yeah, you kind of see that stuff under a microscope yeah, yeah. I mean, even if they're slowing their way into your spaceship, that's still not like biological splatter horror. That's not gross out. That's just that's just a bug. No, they are pointy. There are things which are totally non-human, which are also totally not frightening. Like if you're if I'm confronted by an enormous glowing diatom, <laughs> you have a hard time feeling very threatened by it. But they are quite quite alien, and True, I yes. think that rates them as a three on the knife spectrum in terms of things you might be confronted by. Sure. I would just certainly agree with the three. They're, they're pretty far out. They're alien, but they've also been somewhat normalized. And TTI has kind of made an effort to subtly introduce them as curiosities that kind of normalizes some of the alienness. The ones you see on the boat rides are probably the mid-sized ones that are the size of, say, a small car. But they get up to the size of very large ships. So some of the things you can see under the surface might be much, much larger and potentially really, really freakishly horrifying and bust devouring. You're not likely to get eaten by an orca. You're likely to get eaten by a, a foa if you're under Europa. TTI is also trying to play down the scariness factor with their animated series, My Friend Foe. 
On a scale of voids, however, I think they place a little bit higher, uh, in particular because of the way they were brought into the universe and the number of things that this strange genetic technology might have been incorporated in. You don't really know what levels TTI has gone to to normalize the DNA of these things. They're in bioprobes. They're in the walls of the building around you. All of the things that kind of echo transcendent energies and can survive the rigors of space, like the bioships, these all partake of the FOA uh, genetic material. And if these things are able to communicate through the strange rippling echoes of cool, potentially that's a very large network of very hazardous material creatures all around you all the time. We don't even know necessarily if TTI has put FOA genetic markers, genetic technology in two vectors. It seems pretty much 100% likely that they have. <laughs> But I can't prove that in court yet. I'm just assuming it because of the way they work. Given that their business cards contain that, those genes. They do. So potentially the, the dread that you could drop on your PCs in terms of these things, I think places pretty high. But again, Ashtar, you're saying they're kind of normalized. So are we looking at maybe a, a three voids there? I'm okay with the three. Okay. Sure. Depending on, as always, on how you play your cards. Let's talk bioprobes now. Bioprobes tend to be enhanced, well, the, the bigger, more dangerous bioprobes tend to be enhanced with some of this strange genetic material from underneath the surface of Europa. By and large, bioprobes are what Ixundraconus uses to designate tool-ish biological constructs. So shuddering war beasts, creatures created for uh, single tasks, walking lampposts perhaps which are mentioned in the lore book very miyazaki there usually the the role of mindless pleasure bot is filled by an android but it could be considered it could be a biological construct in this case depending on how you single task create these things and what desires you're programmed into them the biggest and most obvious bioprobes are transcendent technologies living spaceships which have the occasional regrettable habit of vanishing into deep space and taking their crew with them or freaking out and hiding behind an asteroid and the very famous orca bioprobes that lurk under the surface of Europa and wait for you to dip your toes into the frozen ocean to nibble them off. <laughs> now, they're, they're much bigger than that and much more frightening. According to the lore book, one of the most common running fears, well, an unusually common running fear in space in TTI colonies, particularly Europa colonies, is xenophage phobia, something along those general lines, which is the fear of being eaten by alien things specifically your house, and that is not necessarily something that doesn't happen. There are no official records of this ever happening. Because they were eaten. Yeah, specifically being eaten by alien life forms is, is a common fear for transcendent technologies for some strange reason. I, I don't know why. Possibly because everything in their lives is an alien life form. On the bright side, it does sell lots of toilet covers to cover up those... Uh Toilet seats with little nub teeth on them. Oh, oh God. <laughs> that was a bad design choice on someone's part. Oh. oh, I don't like that image. So potentially we're in a joyful and happy world of living technologies that do all of your work for you. Buildings that repair themselves with uh, cute little squeaking sounds. Again, lampposts that follow you around. And I dearly love the Pokemon-esque image of young children going and finding the newest product on the streets or you know, hiding in their walls and discovering this thing for themselves. 
It's a rare element of whimsy, and PTI is usually bleak and somewhat Russian style. But the level that these things could go horribly wrong in is huge. So, new toilet, no scrubbing, licks itself clean. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm done. So, decapitated heads, I give these things potentially a, I'd say a four, because anyone could be one. They could explode out in a gory mess. Uh, I think we're dealing with the full um, xenomorph potential from uh, the Aliens movies. Etc. Potentially, these sure, things can be very nasty. Yeah, your in your your house or ship could weep pus or blood at any point. That's, Absolutely, that's exciting. I think it does regularly. TTI children learn very early on not to punch a hole in their wall. <laughs> if you do, the wall punches back, screams. You know, when I was thinking about it, it sounded kind of like cute little Jim Henson noises from Labyrinth with the funny little caterpillars under the walls or something. But (laughs) the idea of a screaming, bleeding wall is not a not a happy one. (laughs) One long running argument on the discord chat is the difference between a bioprobe and a vector. And when you get into blip territory, the difference is quite subtle. I think it boils down to bioprobes are those things over there and vectors are us over here. And the difference is not much more defined than that minor things like power level and bilateral symmetry are all that seems to separate us from bioprobes so anyone could be one we've had this discussion before but uh i think the the harrison bergeron style story or the um establishment of a slave race type thing that narrative could play here and have a nice little bit of existential threat behind it I thought the bioprobes are really supposed to be almost a one-to-one parallel with AI. So on the COG side, sorry, on the ASR side, you have COGs, which are fully, fully raised intelligence, are recognized as human vector equivalent, human, human Uh, equivalent. Right. And then you have a ton of AI that is not, not self-aware, not their tools. From the level of like a smart car that drives itself all the way up to something that's as sophisticated as a starship. Exactly. That's a good analogy here. Yeah, they could cover a huge range of technologies. It's a large catch-all bucket of living machinery and they can be war beasts, they can be companions, they can be pets, they can be tools. They can't be human. Poor room, Bob. (laughs) So in terms, I guess, I guess since they could, they could be so anything, it's hard to determine where they would fall on the alien spectrum. Um, since they could mirror ourselves and our darker impulses or be a hideous blob of undulating mess. So knives, I'd say anywhere from, I think that covers a full spectrum. So yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Potentially uh, as I'd say potentially a three or four because they're a known part of vector society. The amount of sheer alienness is up to the designer, but potentially limited by the fact that these things are known to exist. So I would push that closer to a two or a three for almost the same reason. They do have designers. They do have corporate oversight and a little bit of groupthink going on. They're probably not designed to be too particularly alien. They're designed to fulfill the purpose that they are built for. And if that purpose is to be a cute light pole that wanders around and keeps you safe at night, that's not going to be super alien. Once you've seen the light pole walk around to kind of understand what and why it does, I don't think that's, I don't think that becomes like kind of an alien horror scenario. 
So even like a shambling Warshagoth. Again, that it depends on the designer and the reason that these are being made. So you've seen these in Slime Life magazine. You're not going to boggle at them too much. <laughs> you read very different magazines than I do. <laughs> they subscribe me to them. It's, it's all we have up here for toilet paper. <laughs> but I mean, I have something minor like the, the bath mat that eats toenail clippings. That's not very scary. But if you wake up at night and it's crawling onto the foot of your bed. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Even then, the the known factor of these things seems kind of too... I mean, you can play the Invasion of the Body Snatchers sort of idea, but even then, they're a known commodity. It seems like they're not really super alien, with one exception potentially, which is the uh, Orca bioprobes. Mm -hmm. And those are really a special section on their own. I think their fear level is not derived from the fact that they're biological entities it's that they are no longer tools under our control that they've become something else Mm -hmm. so at that point they're their own category of alien and i think just kind of not really part of the the bioprobe concept at all there's something transcendent and that's where their real horror comes from so we'll talk about owls next Um, the story behind the owls is that early on in vector lore society some like 30 or 40 years into the creation of the vector race human slash vector scientists started making the third generation which included um oh i don't know what included but included birds among other things and one line of birds became corrupted they became a a horror show, this murdering, glowing beastie that destroyed everything and covered the walls with weird arcane runes and things like that. Really distressingly frightening alien monstrosities that also echoed the horror that's run from day one of Vector history, the, the, the Hydra that blew up the Earth. That is a computer program called Hydra, not a literal Hydra, but who knows? And the strange forces underneath Europa and every other bit of alien menace all seems drawn to this one thing, which the owls pretty much wrote on their spawning hatching room walls <laughs> in, in blood, other people's blood. They're the bogeyman of the setting in, in many ways. And I don't want to spoil them too much. We do talk about extensively what the owls are in the lore book, but what we know about them is that Nothing is ever an accident in this setting. So either they're an echo of something horrible from beyond time and space, or there's some intentionality to them in the hatching labs of the third generation, or maybe something from column A and column B. But they are um, horror that's kind of invoked in the vectors themselves, because this is what could happen to vectors if they were exposed to transcendent energies, if they themselves transcended. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty. But they're not like dripping with gore. I mean, they're they're owls. No, no, they're they're weird, weird creatures. They're distorted and horrible and stretched out and attenuated. So they're weird mutant owls. They don't look much like owls. They look like demon hellbird beasts. Well, owls on their own are kind of scary. Well, the way they can spin their head around (laughs) is is pretty nasty. Yeah, but um, they don't like usually glow in the dark um, and murder everybody. I mean, what they could if they were full sized. If you're a mouse, I mean. No, that's legit. Yeah. I mean, a mouse <laughs> might have a very different opinion about owls. But they have the same opinion about hawks. And hawks are pretty cool. I mean, we've got one in our party. He's a nice guy. I think the, the first time that I really became aware of the whole owl mythos is when we f- first started playing the game. And the same player that thought, 
hey, Exonyms looks awesome. I want to play with one of those. I then heard say, man, Owls, I want to play one of those. And that made me think, oh, dear. <laughs> Do I even want to know? Probably not. Not a playable race. Yet. Hopefully ever. Well, so, if you go to European mythology, there's a 40-foot owl that will come at night and take you out of your house. Huh. I haven't heard of that one. Well, they're night birds. They've got all those kind of dark associations. And and the human faces kind of two of the flat faces that Right, right. Like lions are associated with humans because they're kind of flat faced as well. And they're creepy birds as far as birds go. This is definitely strange. Yeah, the the the, the, the hum, more human face shape pushes them into an uncanny valley te- territory, I think. But I think just picking on the fact that they're night birds alone is a good enough reason to leave the alien door open for them and make them kind of the monsters. Sure. Well, and they do have a little bit of jump scare to them. They fly completely silently, so you, you can turn around and one could be swooping by and you wouldn't have noticed until you see it. And their vocalizations is fairly startling. And sometimes they turn into David Bowie, which is pretty scary, too. <laughs> That's scary all by itself. I know, right? What I know I'm allowed to say about them is that owls are the first example of what happens when transcendent technology is forcibly applied to somebody. The hints that were dropped over Discord are that this is a, an intentional creation. This is a made accident. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the, kind of the, the, mad, the first like deep mad science horror broken out of the lab on a, a killing rampage. Which I think places it very high on the um, on the decapitated head spectrum, uh, given that they are prone to covering everything in entrails and gore and exist only to kill. That puts them solidly, I would say, a four on the decapitated head spectrum. Sure. I would like to specify the first non-Terran example. Can you elaborate? Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I do agree with you. And a lot of that really is rooted in the fact that these are not vectors. They're not as alien. They, they could have been vectors. They should have been vectors, but they are just not vectors. Yeah, something's profoundly wrong with them. As far as aliens go, they make uh, fine antagonists. And as the big reveal in your contract or as the lurking menace from beyond um, the idea that they could have been preserved or recreated as a concept could drive any number of plots. So I think that gives them solidly a, I would say, a th- well, as the bogeyman of the setting or one of them, I think that that puts them as like a four on the, um, the knives spectrum. They're a quintessential alien race in, in so many ways, but, and they also reflect vectors themselves. Since we are in spoiler territory already, um, yes, not only do they pop up very often as kind of the boogeyman of the vector race, they are one of the three original contracts uh, within like HSD. I mean, it, it is that immediate as the boogeyman, as the scare tactic to come back up. Well, and they're kind of like the symbol of transcendence gone wrong. Mm-hmm. That gives them a lot of staying power as potential well, symbols, if not actual legitimate bad guys, because they're theoretically dead well they're theoretically dead but they are kept alive in culture and imagination like they they literally are the boogeyman small vectors are told clean your room or the owl will get you go to bed now or the owls will pluck you out of bed i'm gonna give them a two on the void spectrum though because 
they're they're in the past. They're done. They're not something that people fear regularly. Um, they're not something that's you're not going to have an owl outbreak, as far as I know. And they're not subtle. Not really. They're just murder beasts. Yeah. Unless you're a small child that didn't eat your veggies. Or a mouse. Unless you're a small mouse child that didn't eat your veggies. Yeah, I mean, the dread of the thing under the bed, that's there. But um, that's a pretty finite card to play unless you're in a very specific game. So, so you're saying that they're, they're not vectors? Well, that depends on how you define vectors. They could have been vectors, but they're vectors that something dreadful happened to. And if you establish sentience as your requirement for vectordom, not, not really. They, they are vectors, but they're not vectors where it counts. They're a monster that was derived from vectors that okay. has become a lurking terror in nightmares. Right. Okay, so Sokorbo can never end up playing a, a half-owl character who's tortured by it. I'm going to ask. Okay. Please. Please. I, hi- would lo- I would love to see that. <laughs> hybrid owl. Hybrid owl hairless dog. I mean, God. I haven't killed any PCs recently. <laughs> There's always the opportunity. <laughs> Make room. <laughs> So let's talk about pale men in as much as we can talk about pale men. Owls are the lurking terror beneath your beds. Pale men and whispers as well are the very real terror that you could encounter when you're in the dragons part of the map. Owls are the terror that flaps in the night. Oh, that who at night. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about pale men. <laughs> Uh, Ashtar, you had some meme theories about Pale Men. Can you elaborate on them? Let me throw you under a bus. Minimi, can you play back episodes one, two, and three for me real quick? We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think you were thinking, you were comparing them to like fingers, salad fingers, man, or some of the, the pasta fuzzle short oh. fiction or something. Slenderman? Yeah, maybe Slenderman. Uh, you, you were saying that they were like part of the yeah, meme. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. I was a Slenderman. Part of the meme territory. I could, I could see him being someone like that. Yeah. I, I love the reference <laughs> to Salad Fingers. No, you're very close. <laughs> Those were the guys in the original book. In the tubes with the hand feet ship, hand feet things. So we went from Salad Fingers to hand feet. Am I, am I off here? They're the... The pale white ones with the four eyes and the backwards hand feet. Yeah, they, they were... Yeah, these guys. Yeah, They're kind of like skin more sense of backwards hand. True. Or, or r- Rakasha. They do that to discern you when you're tracking them. Yes, so pale men, we were talking originally, going back over a year at this point, that they seem to invoke some of the... Creepy salad fingers, spindle man, um, urban legendy style horror from the internets, and the um, the creepy spaghetti site. I'm I'm so lost when it comes to internet references. Are you looking for copy pasta? Creepy pasta. Thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure I want to get behind this 100%, but I think uh, I think what I was noticing, what I noted at the time was that there was a certain parallel to a lot of the Slenderman-type behaviors and how, how they were presented, and that they kind of just showed up in the shadows, in, in the background, and they had kind of a very hard-to-pin-down, hard-to-find, not-there-when-you-looked-for-them type of horror. And a lot of the Paleman descriptions not 
not their physical build, which is completely different, but a lot of their, how they moved, how they acted, how it was described with the first couple of expeditions down to Terra to try and see if there's anything worth reclaiming, that their behavior, that their, almost their culture of, was very much the same. It was stay out of sight, show up just in flashes in the backgrounds every now and then, and they were just absolutely lightning fast almost liquid motion type things when you weren't looking or when you weren't staring at them. Classic movie monster. Mm-hmm. And their appearance is just kind of weirdly distorted as well. Kind of this, this pale white thing with like four diamondy eyes and weird little pointy stubby things and complicated flexible joints that can like go backwards and forwards and things like that. Heavy duty prehensible tail. Yeah. Yeah. Looked like Mewtwo, I think. An evil Mewtwo. Oh, yeah, that's very Mewtwo-like. Yeah. Well, Mewtwo in the original movie was evil. Or kind of evil. He was just whiny. He wouldn't, like, take your guts out and use them as crochet. Whiny can be evil. And like Mewtwo, they were created from some sort of genetic disaster. Mm-hmm. But probably not from two Mews being shoved forcibly together. And we're in the territory of things that we should shouldn't spoil, but what we do know about them from the original books is that in all likelihood they were created... Probably from some variation of the hemivector type process where rapid genetic modification was possible on an existing creature. We, we can say that because that process was in the air during when the bombs fell and the pale men were the things that were left over when the bombs fell. There's so much more to them than that. But the safest thing we can say is that they are one of the two major remnants of humanity at this point. The other having cute furry butts and wiggly noses and uh, compulsive spending behavior. Um, from what I've seen, it gets a lot from um, what, like we were saying earlier, Slenderman and different news. From I've even seen some somewhat of uh, uh, what was it, Egyptian or somewhere over there, Nagas and uh, kind of a skinwalker type feel to them. Nagas are the, the half-snake, half-person yeah, thing. People. I'm not familiar with skinwalkers. Skinwalkers come in many shapes, uh, from Native American being goat men to uh, kind of a more European uh, deal, being a creature with backwards feet hands, so that when you're tracking it, trying to hunt it, it actually you can make it seem like it's going one way instead of the other. So evasive trickstery type thing. Yes. And that kind of feeds into like the, the rock Sasha you were saying, mm-hmm. or the Twilobites, not the Twilobites. <laughs> That's something else. No? I, I don't know what a Twilobite is. It have, sounds adorable. It's, it's from the Dick Van Dyke show. They don't have thumbs. So you know they're <laughs> alien because they don't have thumbs. Okay. It's totally valid reference. Sure. I'm so sorry. <laughs> totally <laughs> indulging you on this one. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. I'll allow it. Okay. But yeah, the the weird joining and things like jointing and things like that, that kind of, again, just throws them abruptly into the alien world. They're so not human that I, I feel like the game suggesting that maybe they were human is kind of a challenge to my ideas of what human potentially means. Okay. It's like you set out to create the most alien thing possible and then said, but wait, right. <laughs> secretly, this is Aunt Ruth. Right. Well, or or it's like... Since the conceit of the game is the cute, adorable 
animal critters that the human has, has humanity has built itself into. This was option B. Yes. <laughs> the, what if we throw that whole appealing part out the window and go with scary thing? Like in uh, Swan's books, uh, like Forest of the Night, which had biological, bi- uh, biologically modified warriors running around, there were the two different categories. There were the Moreaus, which are the animal ones, and the Franks, which were simply modified humans. I uh, are referring to Frankenstein. Oh. <laughs> so it's just, just an <laughs> interesting past. And, and so the, the, the Franks tended to be the, the really just kind of, honestly, more scary ones. Hmm. Because Uncanny Valley, they're, they're, they're humans who are distorted. That's weirder than a rabbit with a gun. So what we have here is the super fast jump scare style monster. But there's there's more to it. I mean, they're tied into the origins of the vector species. And they are, you know, every part of me wants to say dark mirror at this point, but that's not accurate at all. They're so far removed from what we understand and what vectors are that they are, they are just completely outside and yet they do have a recognizable intelligence and And it's intelligence that the vector can recognize kind of as self but not and well they're able to use tools they're able to launch a ship so presumably they read and write and understand things as well as any vectors do because they can get airborne and spread themselves to other planets vector society's first encounter with the alien was a, a dummy ship that was launched to draw their attention back to Terra. And it worked. It worked so well. The The Pale Man managed to launch a ship into space, and that prompted the return to Earth and ultimately, I think, the extermination of a great many vectors. <laughs> Oops. And uh, I think that, that leads into the story of the lost Luna colony from there. At least these are all kind of tied together in, in, in strange ways. So they are... Their cunning is not animal. Their cunning is is just flat out cunning. They're almost space worthy, which kind of makes sense if they're the last vestiges of humanity, and they were likely able to access the intellectual resources that humanity had lying around to a greater or lesser degree. So set set in apocalypse, bake two hundred years, end up with pale men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they almost kind of remind me of velociraptors, but heavily mutated. Yeah, yeah, particularly like the 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 suggestion of their movements and things like that. They don't have hair. Don't, they, don't be judging. Or cute, cute ears or fuzzy tails. Well, sitting in the corner, uh, in the dark shadows, waiting and setting traps. I mean, they survived an environment for hundreds of years that even killed out the roaches. So at the time of the, the lore book, I think, or at the time of the, mm, at the time of the original book, I think we're left with some open questions about what they are. Maybe they're mutated. Maybe they're mutated remnants of humanity. Maybe there's some sort of experiment gone horribly awry. I don't. I think that's left in in canon doubt and uncertainty. But a place where they do kind of parallel the vectors is that they are a created race, likely. Um, that they were intention, intentional or a side effect of the hemi vector process. So. I think the most disturbing thing about them is the children of man aspect that you get, that they are potentially human and possibly genetically more so than vectors. We don't know. Well, they're pretty distorted, but the traits they might maintain from humanity, they go back to the the origin of vector species in, in, in some ways. I think one important thing about the pale men is that they are the other branch of humanity. They're the lost children of man 
And in that way, they tell a story that goes right back to the origins of Vectordom. What I don't understand about them is how they are tied into Hydra and the transcendent events that kind of ripple throughout all of the cosmos. Because if you look in the stories in the in the core rulebook, they talk about how the same symbols that were written all over the hatching chamber of the owls and found on the side of the monolith under the surface of Europa are also echoed in the chambers and abandoned bunkers in Terra. So there's a product tie-in between the pale men and the whispers and the bioprobes and the owls and all the other things that are part of the cosmic horror behind HST. And I don't see it. I don't see it because I don't see any reason for it to be there, except that the early book establishes the strong connection. And to be frank, even reading through the lore book, which I still don't see the connection. It's like they're a vestigial appendage of the cosmic horror that doesn't really connect with the main trunk very well. I don't know why they're there in terms of their relationship with Hydra. It's scary enough that they exist at all. Maybe to be determined, maybe... Possibly. Just one of those things. The only thing I could see is that somehow... Well, so in occult theory, you have the law of contagion, which is kind of the like effects, like things that touch each other are forever connected. And the laws of similarity, which say that things that are alike are the same thing. And transcendent technology is not technology. It's it's magic and symbolism that we call technology. So I don't know. Maybe these things have come parallel in some way that, that makes them ripple with transcendent technology. But I can't. That's so tenuous and so vague that I'm having trouble even wrapping words around it. It feels like there's some ideas in the first book that weren't really like totally fleshed out. And tying Hydra and the Pale Men together just kind of says they're part of that same horror chain. But maybe that's an idea that hasn't been fully exploited yet except that all bad things come from hydra and or tti well it could also be that hydra makes everything worse i mean you have humanity that is facing down a nuclear doomsday clock and they're doing everything they can to try and survive somehow it's potentially possible that they could have had something that came out of that that could survive a nuclear blasted landscape it may have been more tragic than malicious and horrible. But when you get the extra little touch of Hydra, it becomes malicious and horrible and, and so on. So how would we rate them on a, uh, on a scale of one to five? I think on the splatter, they potentially rank quite high. Mm -hmm. uh, they're murder machines. Mm -hmm. So solid four on that one. Cool with that. Okay. Whispers. I'm holding the five for whispers. <laughs> Just say that straight out. Spoilers. <laughs> so far as facing the alien goes again i think three to four they're not really a known thing yet they're they're the monster that the director has hidden until the end of the film at this point i i would make a strong case to push them up to a five just because their behavior is so intelligent and so directed that it yeah okay Pretty much, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll, I second I'll, that. You second that. Okay. Well, I feel outvoted. I'm going to stick. With, <laughs> I'm going to stick with a four myself. But I can see. I can see cases for higher. I think really what it comes down to is it's that like level of intelligence. Mm -hmm. you, you you can talk to these things, but you might not get a useful answer. They may just eat you. No, they can talk back. Like they they could give you a useful answer, but th there's that little. They're not going to. 
they're going to use language as everything else to distract you and confuse you while they seal all your stuff and then kill you from the shadows. And they're going to laugh about it because it's a game to them and it's fun. <laughs> that of all the things that we have, I think this is one of the most psychological horror creatures that they have. Everything else is either too alien or is just operating off of their basic programming instinct, instruction, what have you. These things are coldly, calculatingly evil because they choose to be and they enjoy it. So you're filing them up there with like the alien from Aliens in terms of raw, dangerous horror and the, the monster that you face. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I feel like I don't want to give the five to them on the void scale yet because because they're more they're conceptually they're pretty scary in terms of what they are um the more you read into their deep lore they're frightening because of their parallels to vectors and the way they differentiate and what they imply about humanity i still think they're a containable understandable force and i i can't i can't give them the top level of the like nameless dread scale so i'm gonna say no more than four on that one that's that's hard limit this is not a democracy. <laughs> this is true. This is true. This is not a cheerocracy. This is a cheertatorship. <laughs> so let's look at whispers now. Or not, please. No, Whis Whis whispers. <laughs> whispers, I think, are one of the ultimate strange horrors in the game. Well, they they are. They are the manifestation of cosmic horror in the game, hands down. If you're not familiar with the lore, whispers are. They've been around for about 200 years, as far as we know. Pretty soon after Transcendent Technology inhabited Europa and opened up connection to the strange monolith under the surface, the whispers started appearing uh, in, in ones and twos. And then there was a massive outbreak of them in the Luna Colony. These creatures, very much like pale men, and to the point where I confuse them at times, uh, they're quick-moving, needle-clawed murder machines, but they're tied tightly to transcendent technology, to the idea of the kind of weird, semi-magical, symbolic logic of transcendent energy. They can not really be contained. They dive into vectors and then surface later on in a splatter of gore, and there's suddenly three or four of them where there once was, and no vector is left. They can possess your body, much like the transcendent technology implants do, in a way that scanners can't detect. And then suddenly there's a massive outbreak of these horrible things. And it was something you were carrying in your bloodstream the entire time and didn't even know. And of course, they kill lots of things and like a virus explode out of them and multiply and multiply and multiply. They've gone on to fuse themselves into some sort of strange architecture to bind the earth and the moon together. So they're not even living creatures. They're some sort of thing that can vacillate between them, like, like a slime molder, mm. <laughs> a slime mold with razors. Um, and their bodies have formed this monolithic structure that is the possibly the biggest artifact in known space. It's certainly the biggest created artifact in known space. Hands down, these are as the emblem of cosmic horror in the game, they are the unknown. They are the frightening outside thing. They are the power behind transcendent technologies, uh, insights and creations. I think they represent the creeping horror. I, th 
I think they represent the creeping horror in the HSD's backdrop uh, more than any other species out there. Mm-hmm. And they float. That's pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is kind of a, a, a top bar. Yeah. It would be hard-pressed to come up with something weirder or scarier. Well, I like the way they explode people into viscera that flies around the room. Sure. Um, I think as a splatter horror, that's definitely splatter, I think, on every level. So you, you've got splatter there. Mm-hmm. And that they can lurk inside you and then make your friends explode into many, many of them and then spread like a zombie virus. Um, for me, that's that's top tier on on the uh, on the decapitated spectrum. Sure, sure. I could see that being very terrifying. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to be there for that. And then then they can play the game, the body snatcher game, where you never know who's actually been infected by them. And if you happen to have transcendent technology, which is a wonderful tool in our bright new future, then you might just suddenly explode in them because you haven't had technology, this sort of technology on you. So the creeping dread factor on them is is super high as well they're they're not good they're not nice things so it'd be very hard to exterminate them if they did controlling them is is hard you can kind of if you can keep everybody away you can kind of starve them out and then they'll turn into statues or sculptory sort of things like weird alien tendril sculptures but it's kind of like when in the ponies uh show uh, Discord turned himself into a statue or something. He's just going to break out later on. Right. Uh, and then if you like move the statue, then suddenly it wakes up and infects you and then you explode and die. Yeah, I was going to say like, so you could starve them out and then start building houses and have alien sculptures outside, but that doesn't seem nice. Well, we probably not, but certainly Transcendent Technologies Incorporated has learned from them and they have like the stuff that's made from Whispers is called Whisper Work, spelled with a funny, funny German W-E-R-K. And the artificial bone-like construction is called Bone Work, spelled W-E-R-K. So even TTI wants to say, hey, look, product placement, <laughs> which is not wise. But uh, a lot of the advances in transcendent technology, these, these implants that can make things explode into fireballs and telekinetically move them around, the space wizardry comes from the secrets they stole from these whisper things and the power that they were able to extract from them and learn from them. So whatever they are, it's it's something far from beyond and it's tied into this kind of Lovecraftian alien horror that can kind of be controlled, but really just expressed. And only controlled if you can stop them out. If you're, say, on an expedition, you're pretty well. Yeah. I mean, they wiped out a, a few colonies when they exploded out in game terms, they're usually described as more of an event than a monster. It's a thing that happens rather than a thing that's encountered. It's like a plague of locusts. Yeah. 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 Or, um, just some, some monstrous thing, monstrous parasite really. Well, their autonomous lifespan is about 10 minutes. So if they can't find any new victims within that time frame, they all kind of go dormant. So waiting them out is not that long of a plan but still yeah if you like throw down a suicide bomb or something like that you'll probably wipe out that infestation of them and yourself and that's okay may it benefit it's kind of reminding me of I don't remember the name of it but it's a fantasy story in the opening of it it's a fantasy world with dragons in it and dragons come along and are destroying a village and the main character who's a young boy his grandfather pushes him into a root cellar as the dragon comes by and melts them 
and part of gran- grandpa melts off and drips into the mouth of our young character. Skipping ahead in time, uh, the young character just becomes just better than everyone else and meets other people who have been damaged by dragons without actually being killed, which is very, very rare. But all of them, like vampires, are just better than everyone else. It's kind of magically superior. But the big reveal at the end of the story is that finally the person realizes he kind of sees the magic within them that the dragon gave them and that it's a young dragon incubating inside of their bodies. Oh. That, that's why they're so powerful. Oh, it's no. like, yeah, oh, that, that, that's kind of a nice, <laughs> nice twist. I'd also like to say just dragons are powerful enough without becoming infectious dragons too. I think that that was kind of gratuitous, but well, it's hard to make a new interpretation of dragons <laughs> true, that kind true. of played out as a species. Another kind of scary layer to them is the degree of complicit between transcendent technology incorporated and the whispers. They were able to quote capture one unquote, but from what we've seen, they're impossible to capture. Mm-hmm. And despite the massive loss of life that's experienced on Europa, every few decades or so it's important enough to dti to stay close to the source of their power that they're willing to risk both themselves and since we've got this manifestation of whisper technology on earth terra really risk the entire cosmos so the draw of these things in terms of corporate power technology magic is so strong that we will risk all of known creation to chase that and that sounds like lovecraftian sorcery in a nutshell, is the things man was not meant to know. Mm-hmm. And this is these are the consequences of that pursuit. So dread-wise, I want to call them a four. I don't know why I don't want to give them a five, except I, I, I am reluctant to. Maybe because they just feel like too much. I mean, they, they, are, they are kind of this all-purpose dark evil thing. And my, my ability to, I don't know. They're, well, they're, well, they're, well, they behave in kind of a mindless way. There's no indication that they're doing any mustache twirling and plotting against us. That's true. It's kind of the implication of what they are is a little bit more frightening than what they do when they're active. Although the lurking in your body is is such a horror trope that that's that's always there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like they're very like they're a very basic creature. They just kill, reproduce, and so on. Yeah, like a virus, but much larger and much faster. But kind of like a virus that can like lurk in your genetic code for an unknown period of time so that later on you're a carrier and you explode with them. So they've got a lot of the disease and body horror tropes that you find over and over again in, in um, Malenix and Cronus. Less so with the disease tropes, maybe. In, in sci-fi horror. Yeah, sci-fi horror for sure. Post-aliens sci-fi horror. Uh, let's see. Um, splatter. We've got the Vitae Demons. Are they alien? Are they not? I don't know, but they're they're a creation of too much magical life-sustaining potion that makes someone go completely insane and ignore all pain and turn yourself into a raging weapons bonded into your body uh, monster. Um, very high on splatter, so-so on the other two valences, I think. I, I find them too Bruce Campbell to really appreciate them <laughs> yeah. as a pure horror thing. But I certainly would have wanted to have one outside of my door trying to break in. Yeah. Very Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. Um, like, like, like lycanthropy and like other kind of PC possible curses, I can't imagine a PC following, following Vitae down the road that would take them there. So, so far as existential dread goes, I find them kind of lackluster in that category. Right. But they look pretty awesome. I think visually they're a great monster. 
Well, I think it's also mitigated a little bit by they're not actually a species or a race of aliens. They are, for the most part, one-offs. And while they're very horrific, their origin is not misunderstood in any way. It's it's a vector who went down the wrong path and abused the wrong thing. Yeah, it's like and, the idea of like PCP overdoses driving you into a frenzy of destruction and anger, mm-hmm. but with chainsaws grasped in your body. Right. right. Really, I'm flashing back to the NARC video game from the 80s. <laughs> so Vitae Demon is a, was a vector that overdosed over a period of time on Vitae, which sustains your body and your motive force, but doesn't necessarily leave you alive. So you kind of are this walking ball of crazy, crazy and nerve endings and lack of um, self-preservation. Just a slasher movie monster at that point, lacking mm-hmm. subtlety. But a good idea. It sounds like there should be a uh, service announcement added for them. <laughs> Do not. Warning, Vitae may result in chainsaws mounted in your body. <laughs> And Vitae is pretty controversial stuff. I mean, it's it's only used by two corporations, the most powerful medical corporation and the most amoral biotech concern. It's also the kind of the blood of um, the weird-ass biospace ships and things like that. So it's it's pretty horrible, powerful stuff. Well, it's also literal ambrosia. It cures all that ails you. It more or less makes you invincible and invulnerable. It it's a super soldier serum um, and one that doesn't really care if you live or die at the end because you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Transcendent manifestations. That is another very strange creature. We're looking at the bestiary there. This is kind of looks like a weird liquid blob monster. It's if you've like read up on the fourth dimension, it kind of resembles a creature from the fourth dimension intersecting this world. Just these kind of strange, vaguely biological shapes made of like unknown energies. Transcendent manifestations most often occur when someone's transcendent implant has overloaded and they are conjuring this monster and turns themselves into this monster. But they operate under unknown rules, unknown physics. They kind of float. They climb up walls. Their own geometries are purely internal. Let's go back and touch on that one again. The reason that these guys are off the chart is because they do not follow the laws of nature, the laws of physics, the laws of gravity. Yeah. If they decide that, you know, they're happy just kind of floating sideways eh, screw gravity they're going to float sideways so they if really f- they're moving fast and suddenly decide that they're not moving anymore eh, screw inertia they're just not moving anymore so they've like ratcheted the unknown up to 11 and left kind of the common sense down at the far left of that spectrum so they're kind of the ultimate weird without really any context to my mind except kind of invoking and carrying the idea of this alien unknown of the quill energy and the gm is kind of encouraged to take any norms that the PCs might be putting together and blatantly break them just to reinforce that these guys are just unpredictable. Yeah, like a magic spell rather than a creature. I'm, I'm calling them high on the alien weirdness factories, so like maybe 3.5 knives, but everything else I want to throw to the left of, this, of the spectrum. I don't find them compellingly splattery. And I don't, they don't fill me with any sort of existential dread. They're just too strange, bizarre, and not of this world. So uh-huh. like a two or three or two on that one. Sure. Two voids. Thank you. They're supposed to be like symbols of the unknown and the strange, but I, as, as scary things go, they're just, they're just there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the dominant message of a lot of these, I think is, is that horror and the alien in Ixundraconus is kind of Pandora's box. It's things that the vectors have invoked themselves. 
have done to themselves, have created. I mean, even the, the transcendent manifestations are the result of transcendent devices. The exonyms vectors created them. The whispers are probably tied into TTI's meddling with things man was not meant to know. It, it seems like the running theme on all of these is, is the more you dabble, the more horror is brought down on you. I want to say that was horror, not whatever I actually said there. Right. Horror and the alien in HSDs are things that we've invited to themselves, into ourselves. It's, it's, I think that's a fair assessment. Sure, sure. That and all roads lead back to Europa. I think another truism is that if something is attractive and has fur, it's probably okay. The farther it go, goes from that, the more the odds that it's a horrible thing that's going to eat you. You're being first again. I oh, am. please keep that attitude. That's a great <laughs> attitude. Or being that mine's a shark, so. Okay. Yeah, they're, 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 they're sharks. They're lizards. Which not saying that they wouldn't eat someone. There's one alien race that we haven't touched on yet because it's only been hinted at in the lore book and on the leaked material on the HSC Tumblr. And we're kind of running out of time as well. Uh -huh. That is the Nephilim uh, mentioned in the Nephilim mana platform and other places. So far as alien goes, these are very pastiche uh, Lovecraftian dark gods. There's like 12 of them. They are vast and unknowable and mysterious and are hinted at in the ravings of a madman uh -huh. uh, the nephilim codex book which uh, you know if you're gonna find the best source of information on subject in the writings of a man bad and if you're going to find your best information on a subject in the writings of a mad prophet mm -hmm. you are in deep lovecraft town True. And, and that's okay i love deep lovecraft town cosmic horror is always informed by lovecraft deep in its root he kind of invented the concept so I don't know that these are the part of the backdrop horror of the universe. They're described as being biological creations on their own. So maybe they're newer than that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But whatever they are, they're biocreations that are powerful enough to be worshipped as gods. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes as a concept because it's definitely a bigger form of weird than we've encountered in HSD before. And right now... Even the lore book is only hinting at them. Hmm. So uh, I look forward to seeing where that goes in the future. We shall see. Well, uh, thank you again for exploring these topics with us. And I wish you all a very festive St. Halloween's Day. Take care. Uh, avoid whatever's knocking at the door. And catch you out, line. Remember, the truth is out there. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Tronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Okay, first off, let's all... Ashtar. <laughs> You're unhelpful. <laughs>